0: That's defeating at gty.org. This offer is good in North America and Europe through June 2024. And now, unleashing God's truth one verse at a time, here is Grace To You Bible Teacher John MacArthur. Hi, I'm Phil Johnson, and it is my great privilege to be your host each day on Grace To You. And with me in the studio today, as always, is John MacArthur. But today we're going to keep him in the studio a bit longer than usual, to discuss the COVID-19 pandemic. And we want to talk about some of the challenges and the opportunities that are facing believers in this time of distress and inconvenience. John, we're now several weeks into a long period of international quarantine. And I have to say that for me, as well as for lots of our listeners, I know that your sermons each Sunday have been a lifeline of encouragement and strength and while it seems we're swimming in this ocean of dismay and inconvenience and concern about the future, lots of bad news, you've sort of given us God's Word to keep us anchored, and thank you for that. Thanks for keeping us anchored.
1: Well, it's my joy to do that. I think one of our politicians or one of our philosophers made the comment, don't ever waste a crisis. Well, that, from a spiritual standpoint, that's true as well. This is a global crisis and you've got to speak to it. We've always done that. You know, this goes back to remember 9/11. Yeah. And uh, I, I 9/11 happened on a Tuesday and by Sunday I had to be prepared to speak and it wound up being an hour and a half message on Islam, jihad and the Bible to explain what was going on. I remember b- before that there was a there was a national incident over the fall of Jimmy Swaggart and I gave a message trying to help people understand what can happen to a minister who's unfaithful. And then the Supreme Court decision to legitimize um, homosexual marriage, same-sex marriage was another crisis moment to which I spoke. Through the years of my ministry, there have been times when you had to stop whatever you're doing because the whole world was giving its attention to something and it needed to be explained from a biblical standpoint. And certainly that, um, that was my intention the first couple of Sundays, to uh, give a divine perspective on what was going on and comfort God's people. The third week, however, I I wanted to turn and take the opportunity to give the gospel, and that that I did uh, last Sunday, and I I will do it again this Sunday.
0: Yeah, you know, you mentioned the uh, sermon you gave— Uh, in the wake of September 11th. That is, I believe, the longest sermon in our catalog, and for years it was the most distributed sermon, the Mm. most requested of all your sermons. Maybe you should start preaching
1: longer sermons. Yeah, I I would love to preach longer sermons, but I'd have to lock all the doors to keep everybody (laughs) in there, and the nursery ladies would be crying blue murder (laughs) at my back. There was another one that was virtually that long and it was called a jet tour through revelation. Yes. Yeah. And I think trying to do a jet tour through the whole book of Revelation in one one run did take an hour and a half as well. Yeah. And for
0: those who may not know, John is preaching every Sunday morning as usual and the sermons plus some special music are, are being live streamed to every corner of the globe. But John, you're preaching to a nearly empty auditorium. What's
1: that like? Well, first of all, I want to say thanks to you and Darlene for sitting out there. You were the only person <laughs> on the left side of a 3,000-seat auditorium. Yeah, we thought you Let's, might need somebody that, that, uh, that somebody could to make con- eye on. contact. Yeah. Right. And uh, some of my kids were scattered on the other side. And, yeah, we, I think we had about a dozen people. Yeah, preaching to an auditorium that seats 3,000 and there's only a dozen people there is a little bit different. People have asked me, um, what what is it like to do that? Um Without an audience. And to be honest with you, Phil, and you would know this because you're a preacher, uh, I'm not really that conscious of how many people are in an auditorium right. anyway. The, the whole of preaching is basically an exercise going on between my two ears. It's a, it's a mental battle. It's a mental struggle to capture the essence of biblical truth and convey it to the people, you know you don 't really interact with people you don 't really catch the eye of people you 're not having a conversation you 're proclaiming the Word of God, and so whether there are ten people there or ten thousand people there, uh, sometimes um, you might assume that would change the dynamic of how one preaches but it's it's never done that for me because I'm just trying to struggle to make sure I communicate that the best way I can, and I, I have the same energy for the truth. My energy doesn't come from the audience; it comes from the truth. Right. I'm driven by the love for this truth that I want to communicate.
0: Yeah, and I notice that as I sit there and watch you preach to this virtually empty auditorium, you're you're as focused as ever, you're as energetic as ever, as lively as ever. Mm. It's like are uh, are you thinking of those thousands of people who are live streaming yeah.
1: no no i'm thinking of this truth which i love and which i'm so passionate about that has to be understood and conveyed the passion comes from the truth it rises from this incredible divine revelation that i have the privilege of explaining no i am aware I think last Sunday uh, 85 nations were connected uh, 60,000 separate devices and if you if you had somewhere between 5 and 8 people for those you maybe have 300, 400, 500,000 people listening. So I'm actually preaching to hundreds of thousands of more people in an empty auditorium. But I that, I know that but that, that, that I'm not thinking about that. I'm I'm thinking about what it is that I'm trying to draw out of the Word of God and make clear to whoever's listening.
0: It's ironic, isn't it, that the pandemic, though it's emptied the auditorium, has actually increased the size of the audience of people who
1: are listening to you live. Yeah, and that, again, is um, the blessing of technology. This is just an astonishing thing to realize. And you also have a very um, rapt audience, a very... Uh, intense audience because there's fear and doubts and questions Mm -hmm. and people are face to face with their mortality. There's a certain fear of death. You know, I've been uh, doing a few things that I have to do. And uh, yesterday as I was moving around for the first time, almost everywhere I I went, people were wearing masks. That's kind of just new. Right. And it speaks to the issue that People walking all by themselves with no one else on the street are wearing a mask. Yeah. What, what do they think is going to happen? But it speaks to the issue of this, this almost irrational fear that something could strike them. And that, that, that sense of mortality and the reality of death and things out of their control makes them more interested in, I think, transcendent, ultimate spiritual answers and answers about eternity.
0: Now, I know there are a lot of people who are also concerned about something striking you because I am getting lots more questions than ever from people who say, how's your health holding
1: up? My, my health is really wonderful. I, for the last two years, I think, or three years, after every Shepherds Conference, I was sick with the flu. mm Last year, I was very sick with the flu, and by the way, last year the normal flu killed eighty thousand Americans. Wow, that's more than will die from this coronavirus mm-hmm. in America. It killed eighty thousand so uh, that was last year, and I got that flu, and I took Z pack and you know chicken soup and went to sleep and I was fine so um yeah the Lord has given me strength and good health. And so this year at the Shepherds Conference, purposely they kept me away from the tight crowds that sometimes press in on me. Right. Typically, because after two or three years of getting a bug after each Shepherds Conference, they said, you know, we don't want to do that. And so um, since that time, everybody sort of evaporated out of my world, and now I've been great. I I don't know how much more time I can spend at home because— there are so many house chores that I have now been assigned to do by Patricia, <laughs> cleaning the garage and all kinds of other sort of things. It's been kind of fun, really, to have some downtime and do some of those things that you have on your little domestic checklist. But yeah. kingdom issues prevent you from getting to them, but now I'm getting to them and uh, – getting yeah, them done.
0: It's a little bit like a domestic reboot. You know, I'm doing oh, yeah, stuff yeah. that I thought for years, oh, I'll do that when I get around to it. And, and now I finally can get around to it.
1: Yeah. And the good news is uh, being 24-7 with Patricia, we've decided we like each other a lot. That's good. This is working out really well after all these
0: years. She's had to sacrifice time with you for years because of your right. ministry and... Uh, Hopefully right. this will make up help make up for that without uh, making her get tired of you.
1: Yeah, well uh, the question went from are you ever going to be home to are you ever going to leave. <laughs> it's a little bit different.
0: Yeah, I kind of doubt that. <laughs> so, uh now talk about the the rationale of the elders' decision to suspend our regular church services. I mean, you must have considered, what about Hebrews 10.25? Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves mm-hmm. together. Or, or Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than men. Right. I was there, so I know we discussed those, those verses. Talk about that.
1: Well, um, first of all, the clear demand of Scripture is to be subject to the powers that be because they're ordained of God. Romans 13. Romans 13. And First Peter talks about the same thing, honor the king and those who are in authority over you. God has set them in that authority. Um, the Apostle Paul te- tells Timothy that we're to be good citizens. That we're to be, live a quiet and peaceable life. We aren't rebels. We don't start protests. We don't defy the government. We conform. Um, we, we're we submissive to the government as as basically ordained by God. So that was an easy call for us. What would have made a difference would have been if this was persecution of the church. If all of a sudden the government decided to shut down churches as an act of persecution against churches, we would defy that. Because now you're into Acts 5, where Peter actually says, do we obey God or men? You say we don't meet. God says we do. We must meet. You say don't preach the gospel. We say we must preach the gospel. So... When the government gets to the point where it basically persecutes the church, the church has to take that persecution and still do what God has commanded the church to do. The the other thing that we talked about with the elders was if we defy this and if we say we're going to meet anyway, we run the risk of exposing people to this illness needlessly. And why would we want to do that? Because this is a health issue. This is a health crisis. And since, like any church, many of the people in our church are older, we we wouldn't want to expose them to that. We, we've we only had, as far as I know, and this was up to yesterday, we've only had one couple in our church in the Spanish ministry who actually got the coronavirus. But that couple, and not, not an older couple either, wound up in the hospital hmm. because it was such a virulent uh, experience for them. So we wouldn't want to say, well, let them come to church and mingle with everybody else and let it be whatever is going to be is going to be. That doesn't make sense. We wouldn't purposely expose our people. That's not caring for your people. We wouldn't purposely expose them to that. And since we wouldn't have known, um, you know, we we just said, look, we're not going to do that. Um, in Shepherds' Conference, which was pretty amazing that we actually got it in because after Shepherds' Conference, the week after, every conference was shut down right. everywhere. But we had Shepherds' Conference, and post-Shepherds' Conference, there was a 90-year-old pastor, a Russian pastor from Washington, who um, it was discovered was ill and died And they thought it was the coronavirus, and it turned out to be the coronavirus. Some days later, the report came back. That was after the Shepherds' Conference. That's the only person that we know of that um, came out of the Shepherds' Conference and uh, had that virus and and ultimately died. Um, And the interesting thing about that is when he was here, it was his birthday. When he was at the Shepherds' Conference, it was his birthday. And I have a doctor friend who said I hugged him four times because I know him, and I hugged him because it was his birthday, and that's what Russians do. Uh, and he said, I could tell you, he was a picture of health. He was in. And there was no reason to think that he was at all ill. So it may have been that he contacted that virus when he got back home to Washington, and uh, through that, the Lord took him to heaven. Well, we wouldn't want to needlessly—why would we want to expose people to that? So it was a pretty easy thing to think about. And the other side of it was this. If this is um, happening at this level, this is in the plan of God. This is in His purpose. So, what would we, what would we do that would maximize the impact that we could have in a different environment? And that's what we said. I, it didn't take me two seconds to immediately say, "Hey, I'm going to preach on Sunday. We're going to preach on live stream, and we'll we'll just let it go." and, and as I just said a few moments ago. It's it's covering the globe, so we're reaching people we never would have reached by not having the service in the normal way.
0: Right. With the prospect of this going longer and longer, do you think the elders will reconsider? You know, when do we when do we get back together? Are we just going to wait until yeah, the world opens up again?
1: Yeah. I I don't know the answer to that. I I don't know the future. I do know that those people who defy that order. Uh, in this litigious society are going th- – this country is going to see lawsuits the likes of which it has never seen. Mm. Every person who uh, is at the disposal of an attorney is going to be marching in the direction of suing somebody if they contacted this illness somewhere in a public place or, you know, whether it's a market or whatever. I mean it's already starting. Yeah. There, there are lawsuits Um So you don't want to expose yourself needlessly to that either. But uh, how it's going to end, I don't know. I I think, in all honesty, the thing is over-exaggerated. I mean, we all know that. The initial reports were that 2 million to 4 million Americans could die. Now, as of today, it's down to 50,000, and that's less than died of the normal flu last year. So, you know, we've been dealing with information and misinformation and chaos and confusion and messed up models. So I don't know how they're going to resolve it. But my assumption would be that this is going to – the quarantine aspect of it, the stay-at-home aspect of it is going to shut down sooner rather than later. I would like to think that by May things will start to loosen up and we'll certainly by the end of May hopefully get back to meeting together. In the meantime, however, as you know, our church is very active. Uh, we, we've opened up a video studio, and all of our pastors and all of our teachers of all the fellowship groups are, are teaching uh, video lessons. The seminary, all the courses are in video. The university, all the courses are in video. Uh, we are—yesterday, uh, we took groceries. We do every week to 60 homes mm. of the older people who, who don't want to go to the grocery store, and we're meeting all of their needs. Uh, all kinds of ministries going on. Zoom, everybody's Zooming all over the place with these Zoom screen conversations. So uh, the, you can't keep our people apart. Right. Uh, so they're finding ways to connect by phone and by, you know, video. Yeah,
0: in some ways it's sort of stepped up the the uh, amount of hands-on shepherding that some of us are doing. And yeah. Of course, we're still preaching, as you say.
1: Yeah, and I've even actually been to the hospital where where a dear friend's wife, Lance Quinn, uh, yeah. was was dying, and now she's gone to be with the Lord, Beth, and you loved her like I did, and we who knew Lance and yeah. Beth and... So, yeah, I'm trying to minister to that family and that situation. So life has gone on as usual, but it, it is true that the, the Lord will accomplish His purposes and His will through this. We don't, we don't have to defy the powers that be in order to accomplish the will of God. We can conform to what the Lord is doing in the world and allowing in the world and find ways to— I feel sort of like Paul that my imprisonment has fallen out for the furtherance of the gospel
0: right now on the other side of that equation though does it not concern you that uh, with all the government overreach and and exaggerated you know predictions and and even the mayor of New York said that he was going to permanently close churches if they didn't strictly adhere to the social distancing things does it does it concern you that this could open the door to future persecution that this could be a harbinger of bad things to come for the church. From
1: from the perspective of the elites in our culture, the educated, the, the university, the literati, you could say, the elites, they hate Christianity. They hate Christianity because Christianity has morality that they completely reject. So they hate Christianity. So any excuse they could have for attacking us, I don't think they particularly care about attacking some religions because some, there are religions that aren't a threat to them, that don't throw the Bible in their face and the, and demand that people live according to the Word of God. So sure, uh, I mean, we're, I think as a nation and as a world, we're headed toward the persecution of the church. We're headed toward a greater hostility toward Christianity. Um, the government, we, we've learned one thing for sure in the government's action that you don't you don't need an army to conquer a nation. All you need is fear. Mm. You don't need an army. You don't need a troop. You don't need to fire a shot. Just terrify people that they might die and they'll all roll over, uh, in complete compliance. They'll give up their freedoms. They'll put on silly masks. They'll put gloves on their hands and they'll sit in their house for as long as you tell them to sit there. You can conquer an entire nation with fear. Um, so we've seen an illustration of that, that. We love our freedoms in America. We we love the idea that we are given freedom in America. Uh, we we love capitalism in America. We, we we resent Christians certainly resent the idea of communism, where uh, you're not the person who determines your own fate. You you know you you don't uh, you don't work for your own bread. And if you don't work, you don't eat, as the Bible says. So we we like that uh, as a political system, as a social system. And so we don't like the government control, and we wonder whether now they've got control, are they ever going to let go? But that is purely political. That's sociological, economic stuff. That's not kingdom uh, stuff. That's not kingdom uh, matters. So I I think we just, whatever happens in terms of the future of America— uh, we're going to enjoy probably less and less freedoms anyway. The, the, there may be speed ups to the uh, robbing us of those freedoms coming through something like this, and maybe things that are even more dramatic in the future that would take away freedoms. But we do learn one thing: that if you can terrify people, if you can make them afraid, you can control them. And um, that's how, basically, that's how Hitler operated. He, he made people fear Christianity, and then he wiped out the church. Uh, made people fear the Jews, and he massacred the Jews. So there's there's a fear factor in all of this. But as Christians, whatever the political structure is, whatever the economics and whatever the sociology of it all is, it's all temporary, and the king is coming, and he's going to establish the kingdom of righteousness when he arrives, and and we're going to be a part of that. So you take every opportunity that you're given in the world, and you use it to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ— And I think as a shepherd and a pastor, I want my people to be joyful. I want them to be encouraged. I want them to be hopeful because uh, uh, um, sometimes the environmentalists uh, make a big issue about what's going to happen to the earth and global warming and all of that. And if you want to see a the real global warming. You go to the, the Peter's epistle where he says the elements are going to melt with the fervent heat, and the whole heavens and earth is going to go out of existence. And that's not going to happen because you use hairspray. By the way, that that, that reality is coming. So we we look at everything that happens in the world from a divine perspective. This is a disposable planet. The Lord is going to do what He's going to do in His time in His plan. One of the questions that came up recently was, is this coronavirus a fulfillment of eschatological prophecy? And the answer is, of course not. We have the flu every year. The flu is just, this is life. And, um, you know, 100,000 people die every day. Uh, And so there's always a a pandemic of death going on all the time. That's the way it is in the world. So whatever may be the forms that these things take, We need to keep the gospel focus and proclaim the truth. Right.
0: All right. So now we've curtailed our fellowship. And yet, as you've mentioned, you're still preaching. Um, We've stepped up our shepherding and compassion ministries and and all of that. Uh, One question that People frequently ask, and I've gotten this by email, phone calls, people asking, how, how are we going to do the Lord's table? And there are churches that are, that are trying to devise means of doing virtual communion. What are your thoughts about that?
1: There's a phrase used in 1 Corinthians, and it's this phrase, when you come together, and it's used four times. When mm. you come together, when you come together, when you come together. That's a simple phrase, but I think the Lord's table is an experience for the church that is gathered. Hmm. Um I, I w I wouldn't do it. I, I look, there's no prohibition against a family doing the Lord's table led by the Father. I don't think that's the that's the plan. The plan is for the gathered church to come right. around the Lord's table. It's a collective it's a collective uh experience. Um that where we consider our sin and the greatness of the sacrifice of Christ to provide for our sin. It's a time of self-examination, heart examination, all that. But I think it's for the gathered church. And so as a church, we have just said, when this is all over, we're going to have a gathering and we're going to have a great celebration and we're going to come to the Lord's table. But in the meantime, a virtual Lord's table is... um, a, a. Poor excuse for for the reality. It reminds me of a. I was in Colorado, and I visited a mega church, a kind of charismatic mega church, and uh, I was with um, Patricia and some of my grandkids. Um, and the the guy preached, and you know they had the typical mega church music and lights and show and all that. And then this guy preached, and at the end he said, "Oh, by the way, this is Communion Sunday." And there's a table by the exit door, and when you go out, grab some crackers and, and, and juice. Wow. And my grandson looked at me and said, did I just hear what I heard? Grab some crackers and juice. Gramps, let's get out of this place. So I'm not much for the grabbing crackers and juice approach to the Lord's table, and I think, uh, I think it's better to, to do it right and right. wait till we do it right, and that's what we've decided to do. Good. Yeah. And in fact,
0: there's something valuable, I think, in, uh, in uh, letting people wait and uh, and f- maybe for the first time in a lot of cases, mm-hmm. appreciate mm-hmm. the significance of this ordinance.
1: Yeah, because for half a century at Grace Church, it's been a regular part of our life as a yeah. church. And now this is the longest we have gone without having the Lord's table. It, it'll, yeah, it'll, it'll be a couple of months by the time we get back together.
0: Yeah. In fact, in that vein, this is an extraordinary thing, this quarantine. There, as you said, there have been worse pestilences uh, you know, that have gone global and all of that. But in the long history of humanity, there's never been a crisis that's been dealt with quite like this one, where the entire economy of the world instantly shuts down. And uh, it's one of those seismic world changing crises where I think even after this is over the world will never be the same do you foresee any major changes that are going to affect the church even after we do come back together
1: well human hearts aren't going to change um, the people in power aren't going to change they're still going to try to keep their power they may have uh, they may have ratcheted up their controls to some degree because they've They've taken power where they never had it before. I don't know, but that's sort of irrelevant to me. I don't really, I don't, I don't really care what the form of the government is. I mean, I prefer certain things, obviously, but we, we are kingdom people, and you know, my kingdom is not of this world. Is exactly what our Lord said. Mm-hmm. And if if my kingdom was of this world, my servants would fight, right? So, but we don't fight. We say, okay, this is what God is doing in the world. He's in charge. This is uh, this is within His framework and his plan. How can we live as lights in the world and make the gospel the issue? And, and again, that that nine eleven experience was dramatic because all of a sudden people saw vulnerability and the reality of their mortality and the imminence of death and be, being beyond their control, and there was a new openness to, am I ready to die? Um, do you remember, um, I think it was in the 90s, uh, earthquake. We had a massive earthquake. Yeah. And the, within the next week or two, the church was packed with all these people who, this is completely out of my control. Yep. The Northridge earthquake and, and a, sub, a previous earthquake back in 1972 affected people because it it frightened them. I remember saying to Larry King when he said, what's the lesson of 9-11? When I was on that Larry King show, I said, the lesson is you're going to die and you're not in control of when." That's the lesson. Mm-hmm. I mean, people in a tower and all of a sudden they're dead. Uh, that's what frightens people. So I, I think these kinds of things the Lord can use to awaken people. You know what Jesus said in Matthew 11? He said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. It's the people who can't carry the burden. It's the people who can't find rest who come to the Lord. Mm. Yeah, so this is a good thing, actually.
0: Well, in fact, in that same vein, talk about some of the spiritual lessons that we can learn from this pandemic. It certainly reminds us, for example, that life is tenuous. Not only, like you say, we don't have control over it, mm-hmm. but it's short. James 4.14, you're, you're just a vapor that appears for a little while then vanishes away. What other spiritual reminders would you see in this current crisis?
1: Well, I think just Touching base with what you said and and the the thought from James that life is a vapor, um, we don't know how many millions of babies are aborted. And then you add all the illnesses and all the diseases and all the natural causes. And as I said, death is all around us. Death is all around us. And it's it's not just death that's all around us, but this is a very despairing culture we live in today. And what makes not death fearful, but life so vapid and empty is the inability to make meaningful relationships. Hmm. Marriages are disasters. In Any kind of relationship between men and women um, basically is assumed to be temporary, short lived and even a marriage. And so people say, why did I get married? I don't want to get a divorce. I don't want all the, the hassles that go with divorce. And... Uh, kids don't get along with their parents. Parents don't know how to train their children. They don't want to discipline them. They've been taught for generations now that spanking is a crime against your child. It's child abuse. And the Bible is really clear that if you don't do that, you're going to get a rebel. And so we have all that rebellion. Uh, Marriages are in disastrous condition. Families are shattered. And we're starting to see that even in this COVID-19 thing, that what's escalating is violence in the home. Mm -hmm. Home violence, violence between uh, husband and wife and parents and children abusive parents now aren't leaving home the kids don't get any relief they don't get any protection so what is happening is it isn't just that we might die it's that life just is not fulfilling there's no joy there's no happiness and um and then you add another factor to it which i think is quite interesting there are there's no sports yeah. So you've got the usual escapes aren't there. And the bars aren't open. And that's another escape that's not there. Um, and I don't know, maybe even getting drugs is more difficult than it normally would be because they can't get out on the streets and do that. I don't know to what degree. But the normal devices that people use to take them away, they can't go to the movies. Uh, t- television looks like a pile of reruns all the time. Nothing nothing that they usually fill their void with is, is the way it used to be. And I think in all this emptiness, um, we, we just need to take every opportunity we can to proclaim the gospel. This is a prime opportunity for
0: Christians to be bold evangelists, isn't it? Because people are facing their mortality with an unusual sense of immediacy. The threat of disaster hangs over the whole world and our economy. Hearts are full of fear. And the only real solution to what is humanity's biggest problem is the gospel. People are... I think, ready to hear it.
1: Yeah, and there's another thing as well. You remember the final message I gave at the Shepherds Conference was a call for unity in the church? Yes, great and I message. talked about how all these identity groups in the, the, the racist issues, the feminist issues, the homosexual issues that have now come into the church – and you've got all these identity groups and all these victim groups everybody mm-hmm. needs to be a victim we've talked a lot about that that you don't have any leverage in the culture unless you're a victim and that that's the then the more victim categories you fit into the more power you have because you're a victim right uh you know, we, we've talked about that that's called intersectionality where this category of victim and that category of victim intersect with each other and you're double triple victims and that that was that was dominating the the dialogue in evangelicalism you know we've got to do reparations for this and we've got to let women be what they should be and we've got to you know pay back people who were abused in the past and we've got to have a space for people who are celibate homosexuals cuz that's normal for them and all this identity and it was it was caustic, it was mean, it was divisive, and I made the, me- the statement in that message at Shepherd's Conference that when people don't have the real enemy in view, they fight each other. Hmm. When, when an army doesn't have a real enemy to fight, they fight each other. When a team doesn't have a real opponent to fight, they fight each other. And all of a sudden, that has completely disappeared. You just don't hear anything about it anymore. Yeah. Where, where did all those people go? Where are all the people who are saying the most important thing in the world is to give women their place and let women be preachers and make sure we do reparations for anybody that suffered in the past? And, Some of them still are on Twitter. Yeah, but their tweets are oblivious yeah, to it, reality. It sort
0: of shows the pettiness of yeah, it, doesn't it? Yeah, when yeah. People are really dying and you're claiming to be a victim because yeah. someone holds a different opinion. And by
1: the know. way... Twitter it is an appropriate term to describe all that stuff. <laughs> That's it doesn't ascend beyond that, but it but it is it fades when there's a greater enemy. It fa- and what happens all of a sudden is people aren't concerned about who they are and about their group identity. Honestly, this is a good thing. They they they're trying to help each other. They're trying to survive. They're getting groceries for each other. They're taking care of older people. Um, they're complying. They're they're serving people they can there are people are coming up with all kinds of ways to help people and all of a sudden that stuff that occupied them is gone because they have a real enemy that they're they're fighting and they can't they can't see the they can't see the importance of the pettiness hmm. for at least for at least a little while right i think when it fades away the pettiness may come back but maybe in the meantime they'll cross some lines and make some relationships that will moderate that in the future.
0: Right. And you would agree, right, that the gospel ultimately is the only real solution to, to all of these problems.
1: Well, of course, it's only when your heart and, and life is transformed that you love. You know, we, the, the world knows us by our love. Jesus said they'll know you by your love, you love one for another. So the, only the gospel transforms the heart into a heart of love.
0: So with that in mind, let me ask you about um, an article that appeared in Time magazine just a few days ago. Many of our listeners... Does that magazine still exist? It does. I I don't know if they only publish online, but I saw this article online, uh, and many of our listeners will know the name of the author, N.T. Wright. He's an Anglican bishop, Mm -hmm. an academic, uh, formerly, I think, the Bishop of Durham, and Mm -hmm. now he's a professor of New Testament and early Christianity at the University of St. Andrews. And so Time magazine asked him to give a churchman's view on the pandemic. And he wrote an article with this title. This is his title. Christianity offers no answers to the coronavirus. It's not supposed to. It's rare to see someone get so much wrong, even before he gets into the past the title, don't you think?
1: Yeah, I I know you could take that title a lot of ways. Christianity is not a drug. Christianity is not a vaccination. Christianity is not going to save you from the virus. By the way, just thinking about that, Phil, isn't it amazing how little the healers, the supposed healers, have to say right. in the middle of a coronavirus? Where did they all go? Yep. Wait, wait wait a minute. Where where are they when we need them most? In fact. I think it's Bethel Church that um that stopped all their healing meetings during the coronavirus. What kind of a crazy oxymoron is that? Yep. But I I think maybe I I didn't read the article by NT Wright, who's not trustworthy by the way, and who does Really? Yeah, let me summarize his point for you.
0: Here here's here's I'll read you part of what he says. This is his basic thesis. He says that instead of trying to understand why there is suffering in the world, what we need, he says, and this is an exact quote, he says, quote, what we need is to recover the biblical tradition of lament. He says, lament is what happens when people ask why and don't get an answer. It's where we go when we move beyond our self-centered worry about our sins and failings and look more broadly at the suffering of the world. And further, he says, the point of lament is that God also laments. So he's basically saying the right way to look at this is that uh, these things are beyond anyone's control, including God. He's lamenting. Uh, There is no answer to the question of why. And I know you've given whole sermons taking the opposite perspective.
1: That is a, a very irresponsible way to look at anything because essentially what he is saying is, I don't see God active in this situation. I see God outside of it lamenting over the fact that it's even happening. Yeah, in fact, this this is a bizarre view of God. There was
0: another uh, well-known Christian leader, I won't name him, but uh, he was interviewed and asked, why would God allow this to happen? This was his answer. And again, I'm quoting his exact words. He said, well, I don't think that God planned for this to happen. That wouldn't
1: be your answer, would it? Well, look, no. If God didn't know about this... If God didn't plan this, if God isn't in every single aspect of this, then God's not God. Somebody else is God. Um, The coronavirus is God, or the devil is God. But God, by definition, is the sovereign over everything. And if you deny that the true God of Scripture, who claims over and over and over and over to be sovereign over everything and to do good and to allow evil in the world. If, if you believe that the Bible takes everything back to God, everything, then you know God is in this. If you deny that God is in this and you see God outside weeping about it, then you have denied the God that is revealed in Scripture. You've mm. denied the true God. It isn't that God finds pleasure in punishment and all consequence to sin in some form are punishment indirectly. Uh, We see Jeremiah weeping. You know, in in a sense, those are the tears of God. But, But to think of God as someone like us who just sits in a corner and feels bad because stuff's happening that he can't control. Yeah, there's no
0: comfort in that.
1: Well, yeah, the only comfort we all have is because... God is sovereign, and because He transcends everything, and in everything He has His purpose. And Um, His
0: purpose is good. Yeah, good for us and
1: glory for Him.
0: Right. Right. Now, you touched on this earlier. Um, You you mentioned it in passing, but uh, I want to come back to it. A few of our listeners have written or called to ask if you think this current plague is one of those end-time pestilences that is described in Matthew 24 or the book of Revelation— you said earlier, no. I mean, we have the flu every year. This is a, a similar manifestation of that. Could it be a harbinger of worse things to come?
1: No, I think biblically, this 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 doesn't connect with anything in the in the Bible. You, you, I'm hearing people say this is the judgment of God on homosexuality or abortion or you know uh, our failure to put God in the right place. Listen, when that judgment comes, it's not going to be the flu. It's not going to be the flu. Last time that judgment came, he drowned the entire world, Hmm. the whole human race, except for eight people in Genesis 6. There is coming uh, the judgment of God when the whole world is burned up. Um, Prior to that, there's a series of judgments that occur— they're described in Revelation from chapter 6 through 19 and the return of Jesus Christ. But those are things that are also described by our Lord in Matthew 24 and 25 that happened in the time of tribulation. But that's after the rapture of the church. And the rapture of the church, the catching away of the church, which is the next event, is a signless event. So, th- this is just life. So, if, if, um, if 50,000 Americans die of the flu, is that uh, apocalyptic? No, no. I mean, people are dying all the time. We would have to go back to 1918 and said, well, what about when 100 million people died of the Spanish flu back in 1918? Was that apocalyptic? Or you could go back to the bubonic plague when millions across Europe died, and you could go back to, well, go back to to wars, World War I, World War II, millions died Does that mean that because millions died in World War II, that was the wars and rumors of wars? No, that's just life. That is life. Life involves death, and it involves death by many, many means. And part of the fall is bacteria and virus and corruption and all of that. So I don't don't see this in any sense being apocalyptic or… dealing with the, the last days just before Christ establishes His kingdom. Far more horrifying realities will come then. You know, then you have a fourth of the earth dying and a third of the earth dying in the book of Revelation, and you have the heavens collapsing and darkness coming and great balls of fire out of the sky hitting the earth and the waters being corrupted. And th- those are massively different than the flu. Right.
0: I have a, a shelf full of books that I've collected that go back to the the 19th century, the middle of the 1800s, really, where people have been trying to shoehorn what were then current events into biblical timelines of future events. And it's interesting to read. I mean, pretty much every world crisis, every war, every disease, every major ruler uh in the history of the past 200 years, has been identified by somebody as possibly the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, right. you know, so far all of those predictions have proved wrong. Uh, so there, clearly there's a danger in that kind of speculation. We're not entitled to read meaning into divine providence that isn't clearly there in Scripture. On the other hand, there there's a danger uh, of becoming so... Uh, apathetic about the return of the Lord that we're not ready for it when it happens right. it is getting closer
1: well yeah every day is closer of course but but let me let me reconstruct the way to look at this virus okay some bats in China have this this coronavirus they're in a lab some guy's working in the lab he gets it few other people get it they go to town they spread it around if they had better controls in the in the lab we don't have it. If, they, if the Chinese government told the truth about what was going on, we don't have it. Uh, if the models were different, that were assumed that millions of people all over the earth were going to die, we're not going to have this. If we had stopped people coming from China from spreading around the world at the first, this isn't going to happen. So you, you cannot attribute all of those things to God. If um, and we heard this too, some years ago, uh, people were warned. Even American previous presidents were warned that we needed to get more ventilators. If we'd had more ventilators, fewer people would have died. This is this is not how the divine judgment of God works. You you can't stop the judgment of God, the eschatological, apocalyptic judgment of God, by having more ventilators. So this is just life. This is life. It's appointed that a man once to die. You don't know when it's going to happen. It could be a car accident. It, it could be an, an illness. Um, it, it could be the flu, and maybe it complicates itself and it attaches to something, some other weakness and so forth. But when the judgment of God is described in the Bible, it is… If it's a plague, it is a plague like in Egypt. It is it is a plague that basically has no explanation but a divine one. Hmm. This, this could have been prevented by better preparation. Um, and in fact, the outcome of this is probably going to be that we'll be better prepared in the future for this. To, uh, so that would mean if it was a judgment of God, we figured out ways to hedge against the judgment of God. So this is just life. Uh, This is the flu. This is life in the fallen world, and we have to deal with virus. One of the
0: obvious effects has been widespread fear. You see that in believers and unbelievers alike. And uh, I know you've dealt with that a lot recently. Fear, we're told in Scripture not to fear. Is it a sin to fear in a situation like
1: this? Yeah, it's a sin to fear, if you mean by fear. the sense that everything's out of control. Um, it's sensible to say drive carefully because you fear that if you're irresponsible or you don't drive carefully, it's, you could get in an accident. It's, um, it's sensible to fear texting when you're driving, right? You don't want to do that. It's sensible uh, not to get in an airplane with a guy who just got his license and wants to fly you over the Rockies. That's a normal fear. Um, yeah, I think there are, there are fears that we would put in the category of sensible protections. You want to be careful about certain things. So that's, that's normal. But the fear you're talking about, the sinful fear is that the world is not in the control of God. If, if you divest God of His sovereignty over everything, that's a sin. So whatever comes into your life, your response as a Christian is, God has this. It's in the plan. It's in His purpose. It fits what He's doing. All things will work together for good to those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. This is for our good. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials because they have a perfecting work. Uh, God is using everything in this world to fulfill His will, fulfill His purpose, and conform us to Christ. That takes the fear out of it. I don't have any fear of dying because I'm going to be with the Lord. I don't have any fear of what would cause me to die because that's the way I'm going to go to be with the Lord. I don't have a fear of anything else that would alter my life in some permanent way because that too would be the purpose of the Lord. Uh, look, I don't. I, I wouldn't want to be—I uh, I would like to be able to live the way I'm living now with strength and energy and able to do everything I've always done— but that may not be the Lord's plan for me. He might extend my life beyond my ability to do anything. And you know nobody wants a lingering life where you're just a, a somebody everybody has to take care of. But if God has a purpose in that, that's His purpose. That's His will. So I think what takes the fear away is that God is your protector. God is the one who has your life in His hands. Um, and He knows every single thing that goes on in your life, and He has a purpose and a plan, and He will bring that to its fruition, and it's inevitable. He's in control. That is the ultimate confidence that removes all fear. And if if you are afraid, it's because you don't trust God in that process of accomplishing His will.
0: That's a great encouragement. And, you know, as we're talking about these things, I'm realizing there are undoubtedly hundreds, if not thousands of our listeners who are going to be affected in devastating ways by the shutdown of the economy. People will lose their jobs, their businesses, Mm -hmm. uh, people who we love and and know and listen to speak to those people. And
1: and if you would close in a prayer for them. Sure. And again, it, it's, it's what I said the first Sunday that I did the live stream in Matthew. If the Lord takes care of the grass of the field which flourishes today and tomorrow is burned up, will He not take care of you? If He feeds the birds, will He not feed you? Oh, you of little faith. Um, I think it was David who said in the Bible, I've, I've not seen the Lord's people begging bread. Um, my God shall supply all your needs. Uh, so... Everything that happens in our lives is in His control. I can't say that about unbelievers who aren't His children. But those of us who are His children are in His care. He will supply all our needs. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Now, your life may change. You know, you, you may have to live in a different place. You you, you could end up... Well, in a bankruptcy situation that would cause you to restructure your life but the way you want to respond to that is that this is meant for my good and God's glory and I've got to find the pathway to the next phase of his will in my life hmm. nothing is forever anyway i remember um a friend who's a builder in Colorado a home builder and uh, there was a huge fire and burned up hundreds and hundreds of homes And he was involved in the rebuilding. And he said the most interesting thing about that whole process was I never met a single person for whom I was building a home who was sorry the other one burnt down. Hmm. And I said, really? And why? He said, because it ended the necessity to make so many decisions about stuff. Yeah. I understand that. I get that (laughs) too. Yeah. (laughs) So – life can get unnecessarily complicated and it may be that the lord is putting you through something that will simplify your life and here's the bottom line life consists not in the things we possess right doesn't right. consist it consists in the relationships we enjoy i i you know i don't care what kind of car i drive i really don't care what kind of house i live in but i do care about the people that enrich and fulfill my life so let the let your life be defined by the relationships that are most precious to you, and don't worry about the other things. The Lord will take care of them. Hmm. Um, maybe this is a good time to have a word of prayer together. Right. Father, we thank you again for the confidence we have in you. You are our God. You are sovereign over everything. You hold us in your hands. Our life is hid with Christ in God, says Scripture. So we know that you will meet all our needs, that we will never go begging, that you care for the grass and the flowers and the birds, and you care for us far more than that. We thank you that everything you do in our lives is to conform us to Christ's likeness. We thank you that we learn the most from what we lose and where we fail far more than what we gain and where we succeed. Help us to trust your providence and your purpose in the end that we might be more like Christ. So in the times when we maybe even lose the things that are important part of our lives, may we let them go readily. May we hold everything that we have in the world of possessions as a, a very light thing. May we hold everything with loose grip so that you take it away and bring us to even a better place. Um, May we not be concerned about things in this life, temporal things, but rather be concerned about that eternal weight of glory. May we set our affections on things above and not on things on the earth, Uh, because it's above in heaven where our Father is, our Savior is, and where our reward awaits. So give us heavenly perspective and bring us joy in that hope, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.
0: You've been listening to John MacArthur, Bible Teacher with Grace to You. For free access to all of John's lessons and a listing of study Bibles and books available for sale, visit Grace to You's website at gty.org.